0: Hey, what's going on everybody? Jay here with my friend Isaac as always. Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. And um, as we jump into this episode, it's a really important episode in a lot of ways, Isaac. It shares the heartbeat of regeneration. And when I say heartbeat, I mean that in a really personal way. Both you and I grew up in church contexts um, as young people. And we had similar experiences that I think a lot of people have for me I, grew, I had a really interesting story. I grew up in a conservative, Korean-American, borderline fundamentalist, Southern Baptist church. But my sophomore year of high school, um, this hyper-Pentecostal church in town had a church split. And a bunch of their families came to our church. And this isn't a critique of any denomination, mm-hmm. but that was just the reality. And these kids brought a whole new flavor to our youth group. I remember our Friday night youth groups turned into the lights off, music playing, um, just praying in tongues. What I mm-hmm. thought was tongues at the time. And then it turned into this weird pressure. Like, if you're not praying in tongues, you're not a Christian. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I bought into that. And then my freshman year of college once my the the foundations of my youth group experience were gone Mm -hmm. I realized I had my faith had no legs and uh, walked away from Jesus for Mm -hmm. several years because I just started thinking about things and realized oh you know none of that really makes sense and I don't have any sort of foundation for why I believe the ridiculous things I believe like this man Jesus of Nazareth died and came back to life how is that even possible those sorts of things
1: yeah, I think probably for many of our listeners that that testimony comes in a thousand different like flavors, but mm-hmm. there's this journey if you will where you're raised Christian and you believe it cuz mom and dad said so. Yep. And mom and dad, I mean I mean you believed in Santa Claus when <laughs> mom and dad said Santa Claus was real. And as you age and you mature, you begin to to need something more than just mom and dad said so. In fact, in your teenage years, you're kind of cognitive development, your individualization, you actually, by nature, are starting to want to believe things that do not adhere to what mom and dad said. It's part of like a yeah. teenager's journey. It's yeah. like mom and dad said it, I'm against it. And so what happens though to our faith is, as we start to explore other other thoughts, other philosophies, and especially in this culture. If you're at college, you're being told Christianity is stupid. It's been disproven a thousand times. And so we have this faith crisis. And oftentimes we lose faith in a similar way that you said, but it's not because the faith couldn't withstand the argumentation. It's just because we were believing it because mom and dad said so or our youth pastor said so. And so there's this real need to say and discover that Christianity does have legs to stand on. Today we'll be talking with Dr. Moreland who's PhD, brilliant academic, theologian. He's Debated and, and given talks on over 175 different college campuses, written, e- edited, authored roughly 90 books, and is just really a brilliant thinker and theologian. And he's going to be talking about this these these very issues, issues about loving God with our mind, how how the Christian faith isn't an exercise of the mind, and talking about the onslaught of what he'll call and others call scientism, not science, but scientism, and kind of how to navigate that as a Christian.
0: Yeah. So here is our conversation with Dr. J.P. Moreland.
1: Dr. Moreland, thank you so much for jumping on the show with us today.
2: It's a real pleasure to be with you, too.
1: Your book, Loving God with Your Mind, was extremely influential for me. And just a little bit of context for for my story, I got serious about Jesus in my high school years. I was raised as a Christian, had a Christian worldview, but it really didn't become something significant until my high school years. Um, And as I was getting serious about Jesus and his call and discipleship, I sort of felt uh, almost intuitively like this anti-intellectualism or a lack of intellectualism within the church and I got a hold of your book and it was like it was like fresh air all of a sudden um and one of the questions I wanted to start off with was how did we how did we get here uh, in your book you note that you know from the puritans to people like jonathan edwards there was a developed life of the mind evangelical Christianity. And then somewhere, something started to happen where this these hints of anti-intellectual crept in and actually became sort of dominant. So how did we get here?
2: That's a very, very good question, Isaac, and an important one. Um, Basically, there were two factors. First of all, there were a series of awakenings that took place around the time of the Civil War, and they did a lot of good, but they were— anti-intellectual. They, they did not uh, present the gospel the way Jonathan Edwards did, with a thoughtful reason presentation. Instead, for the first time, there were altar calls. People would come forward while the choir sang, and the purpose was to stir people's emotions and have them make a decision for Christ that involved only an expression of their heart. Very much like in the front of the Book of Mormon, which says that you will know this is the Word of God by a warm feeling uh, in your bosom or chest. Now, I am for emotions, and I believe that having an intuitive sense in your heart that this is true is important. But that's not all that's important. So what that did is it uh, made—it shifted Christianity— from a heart head religion to a religion of the emotions and of the heart and of commitment instead of all those including the mind. So so that began to spread in those great awakenings and we and and it did not change. Now the second factor was uh, in the nineteen teens and twenties we had the liberal. Uh, fundamentalist split where our denominations were beginning to turn uh, liberal and denying the virgin birth and the resurrection of Christ and uh, the truth of the gospel. And um, as a result of this and the universities that we started, University of Michigan, Stanford, all these schools began to turn away from Uh, religious theological claims having any factual or cognitive value. And instead of um, trying to address fire with fire and respond with apologetics and a defense of the faith, what the church did was withdrew from the world of ideas and started their own colleges. Nothing wrong with that, but the problem was that the colleges emphasized the Bible alone, uh, and and instead of saying that the Bible is our ultimate authority, but there are other sources of knowledge that we can embrace too, and the Bible was to be accepted by an act of, of pure faith, and so faith became... A simple arbitrary choice to believe based on feeling rather than Trust or confidence based on what we know and so that those two things happened and it carried up into the 60s when People stop started saying well if there's no reason to believe this to heck with it And so we've had cultural chaos ever since <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's interesting. That's even reflected in the language. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with, with this slogan that I'm about to say, in and of itself, but we lack the balance. We articulate the salvation experience through the lens of the heart. So, uh, is Jesus in your heart? Do, has Jesus come inside of your, your, your heart? And again, I, I get what that's trying to communicate, but the language and the slogans that we adopt embody sort of the foundational elements that you've um, articulated. So what do you mean, then, we are to develop the life of the mind as a Christian? What does it mean for Christians to love God with their mind?
2: Well, I, I love Jesus Christ in a number of ways. He's my friend, uh, he's my Savior, but he's also my Lord. And, and what that means is that uh, he has say over my life. Also, Uh, it means that I have confidence that he knew what he was talking about. And um, as a result of that, um, I want to please him with every single area of my life. I want my will to be surrendered. So if I have addictions, I want to try to work on those and get rid of them. If I want to love him with my feelings, if I have emotional blockage because of trauma in my childhood, I want to work on those, but I also want to believe and see the world and think the way he thought. So I want to take the scriptures and I want to see all of life through a biblical lens. That's pleasing God. And so I want to cultivate an ability to have a Christian worldview, and a Christian worldview is just a way of of thinking about life's most important issues from a carefully thought out, reasoned a biblically-based approach to life, so I want to I think about politics, I want to think about science, I want to think about history from a biblical basis. And I also want to know, did this stuff really happen? Is there really a God, and is the New Testament actually good history? Well it turns out that there are strong arguments that support both of those claims, thankfully, and I want to develop a Christian mind and understanding the reasons why we believe what we believe. One more thing, Isaac, um, we now believe that the the heart emphasis, the soul heart emphasis, is normal. We think that's just the way Christianity is. What we don't know is that this has been going on for a little over you know, 90, almost 100 years now, but the church overwhelmingly throughout the first 18, 1900 years, with exceptions, valued the life of the mind, so we're abnormal, and we're losing our young people because of that, as I'll mention when we talk about my next book, because they don't, they think that there aren't any answers to questions, and so They get in a secular culture and they're leaving the faith.
0: Yeah, I think what you're saying there, Dr. Moreland, really hits at one of the reasons why we even exist. This podcast and the Regeneration Project, you articulated it in a way that really expresses our heartbeat, that new generations are walking away from the faith, because they believe that what you just said, the century-old phenomenon of an, what we would consider an overemphasis on simply feelings and emotions has been the Christian tradition since the beginning. But talk a little bit about what Jesus himself and what the Bible as a whole says about the life of the mind, because this, what you're saying here is not simply a reaction to what you've seen happen in recent years, it's actually deeply rooted in the scriptures themselves. So what does the Bible tell us about the importance of cultivating the life of the mind for the sake of discipleship, of, of following Jesus?
2: Well, that's such a good question, Jay. And um, the Old Testament says, come, let us reason together. Hmm. Uh, that, that has to mean something. Um, uh, God invites us uh, through the prophet Jeremiah and elsewhere to bring our reeb to God. That uh, reeb was a legal case that someone was guilty or innocent. It was a reasoned case that you would have presented before a judge in those days. What, what that says is, present to me your reasoned case for why you want me to answer your prayer. Um, the uh, Esther, uh, uh, um, excuse me, Ezra and, uh, was, was committed to a life of studying the word carefully and, ex- and expositing it precisely. And we have in the Old Testament prophets, they don't say just believe me to, to, to people because I say so. They gave evidence. They made predictions that came true. Um, the, uh, uh, Elijah uh, gives evidence that the pagan gods aren't true. So, that is, uh, not, so that's all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, in addition to these other faculties. If you look at the book of Acts, guys, Paul did not preach the gospel. He persuaded the gospel. In other words, he dialogued diologizomide is the word, and tried to persuade and reason with people about the evidence for the gospel claims. And he used the Old Testament with Jews, and he used creation with the Gentiles. But you look at how he did evangelism, and it was reasoning. Peter says, be ready to make a defense. That's an apologetic. That's a a defense case that you would present in court to anybody who asks you for the reasons that you believe in this stuff. And so we see throughout the way the gospel was presented and discipleship was was viewed, that cultivating a well-thought-out Christian view of the world and why we, knowing why we believe what we believe was an important part, not the whole, but an important part, of sharing our faith and growing in
1: Christ. I forget exactly how you articulate it, but uh, there's a section in your book where it's about Romans 12, and that specific passage about the renewing of your mind. The command is the renewal of the mind, not like uh, make your feelings towards God uh, new every morning. Although, again, we're we're being balanced. We're not trying to say that that in and of itself is wrong, but there's a clear command in the discipleship process that there's this renewing of the mind. Absolutely.
2: Excellent
1: point. So, what are what are practical steps or practical? What's the practical advice for you? Give our audience is primarily young people who are wrestling with all these issues, theological issues. Some of them are are Christian and wanting to better hone their articulation of the gospel and the defense of the gospel. We have people who are just searching; they're not Christians. Um, they're just listening in. But what are steps or practical advice for? that you can give to our audience on developing a Christian mind?
2: In no particular order, I'd say, number one, listen to podcasts like this, read, find someone who can help you get a book that is relevant to the issues that you're wondering about and struggling with, and read. If you don't like to read, then get the book on on. Download it somehow and listen to it on uh, as you're driving in the car. But you have to start reading, uh, watching and listening to things that that inform your thinking uh, and challenge your mind. Um, Get some friends uh, and form a a small group in your church and, and, and read a book together. That's a little challenging. Uh, one of the things I always try to do is to read a book that's a little bit over my head, mm. because it's like lifting weights. If you lift a weight that's just a little bit over there, then then it strengthens the muscle, not too mm. much, but uh, a little bit over you. And that's and and I think those are some things. Go to a church where there is a real serious exposition of Scripture. And there is a value to this thing. And if you go to a church where it isn't valued, then try to find others that are like-minded and form a Sunday school class or a small group where you can read and talk about these things. And finally, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of websites online like Stand to Reason mm-hmm. and Reasonable Faith that have answers to questions, and those things are good too, as well as Christian Apologetics Conference.
0: I just want to ask a pragmatic question specific to the way we think about small groups or community groups in the life of the church. And, um, you know, you've sort of critiqued the standard modern model, which often is to gather together and um, maybe, you know, maybe the, the sort of ethos is all we need is the Bible and each other. Which sounds really great, um, and so what? What ends up happening pragmatically is you open a text of of the scriptures, you read it together, and it's a bunch of you know m- probably like minded friends who enjoy being together, and then the initial question and really the overriding question of that small group gathering often is, okay, so what is this? what does this scripture mean to you or how does it apply to your life or how does it make you You feel? feel? Um, And you've spoken about that. Talk about just very practically those of us who are in small groups and those of us who lead churches that have oversight over these communities that are so important. Talk about ways that we can sort of adjust the way we even think about what's happening in small groups to be a little bit more um, to accentuate the life of the mind.
2: Uh, Number one, I think those kinds of groups, with, with a slight correction I'm going to make in a minute, are good groups. We ought to have those, but now and then we ought to also have groups where uh, we study a, a, a little bit of a difficult book together that's more uh, equipping me uh, uh, to be able to address our, the culture I live in or to reach out, to know why I believe what I believe. So we can. it's a both-and. But we ought to have more of the the reading thoughtful groups as well as those. Now, with those that you're talking about, I would just say, before you ask the question, what does this mean to me, be sure that you've asked the question, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. In other words, try to make sure that that you're understanding the text first and grappling with it a little bit as to what it's saying and then move to application don't just move to application after reading it but take about 10 minutes or 15 in your group and try to really get into it so those would be two things i'd say
0: Hey, taking a quick break from our episode with Dr. J.P. Moreland to tell you about some of our partners in ministry. Uh, We always say this, but we're so grateful for them. Um, Since day one, Western Seminary has been uh, our partner and ally and advocate uh, on the Regeneration Project. Um, They're an incredible school uh, with, with master's degrees and doctorate degrees available in a variety of ways. Campuses all along the West Coast, as well as a really great online program with truly like a world class. Um, faculty of instructors. So uh, if you're looking for higher education in the world of theology or psychology or pastoral work or counseling, whatever it may be, check them out at westernseminary.edu. And for those of us who are looking for an undergrad degree and especially um, a, a Christian, biblical, theological education that is not only really rewarding and rich, but affordable, that's a huge deal. Um, Check out our partners at Eternity Bible College. Uh, They too have um, an incredible list of instructors and faculty and uh, offer classes online as well as at um, satellite campuses all over the country and their main campus in Southern California. And uh, one of their real strong commitments and values is to make sure that every single one of their graduates, um, graduates graduate with no debt and uh, They've been able to do that, which is amazing. So, check them out at eternitybiblecollege.com. And as always, if you want to stay connected to the work that we're doing, um, we have events throughout the year obviously this this podcast and articles and blog posts that we put up Um, you can find all of that and more at our website which is regenerationproject.org and uh, you can find us on social media as well and follow along there so um, yeah stay connected with us if you have any thoughts or questions we'd love to hear from you and there's contact um, forms on our
1: website as well now back to our conversation with dr morland So scientism and secularism, what is scientism, and is it good, bad, what's the deal with it?
2: Uh, Scientism is the single most dangerous Christian-undermining set of ideas in the culture. It's worse than uh, uh, liberal views on sexuality. Uh, it, it, It is the worst thing that's polluting our culture and stealing our, our kids, especially 35 and under, from the church. Uh, Barna did a study about why millennials, and those would be people from 23 to 37, and uh, are leaving not only the church, but abandoning Christianity itself. And of the six top reasons, mm-hmm. all of them were intellectual. Mm-hmm. I can't express doubts in the church without being shamed for it, and if I get an answer. It isn't a good one. One of them is we're not teaching people how to keep up with science, and people don't know whether science is proven the Bible false or what have you. So, scientism is basically not science, but it's a philosophy of how we know things. And it says, the only way you can know something is through the hard sciences. If you can prove it in physics and chemistry and Neuroscience and biology, you can know it. But if you can't, then it's nothing but hot air, emotions, and personal opinion that nobody can know one way or the other is whether or not it's true. So what that means is that theological and ethical claims have to be treated in a postmodern relativistic way. Why? Because nobody can know whether God exists or not whether any Christianity is true or not, because you can't prove it scientifically. If, if a lot of viewers have ever witnessed and somebody says, listen, you can't prove that scientifically, they're expressing scientism. Mm. The view that if the only knowledge in reality uh, is is through the hard sciences, and that's why doctors and dentists and scientists have authority to speak in public whereas ministers don't uh, because it is knowledge that gives people the authority to speak and act in public we give dentists the authority to speak about teeth and to act and do certain things in your mouth because we assume that they have a body of knowledge that gives them that authority if a Dennis told me I don't know a thing about molars, but I got a lot of faith commitments and deep feelings about them. Yeah. He's not going to get 100 miles from my mouth. Well, we now live in a culture where r- religious assertions, uh, the gospel, moral claims are treated as, well, That's that's okay for you if you feel that way, but don't legislate your intolerant views on me whereas nobody would say to a chemistry professor who says this is hydrochloric acid, hey dude don't legislate your mm. chemistry on me. Mm. And so scientism has got to be something that is made clear to Christians and that we start giving them answers as for the, for parenting for Christian schools for believers that interact with non-Christians, they need to know what this is, how dangerous it is, and why it's wrong. And that's why my book, Scientism uh, and Secularism, is written for a general audience to equip and alert and clarify this terrible, mm. dangerous ideology that has secularized Western culture.
1: So so a kind of a summary of that would be Science, good, as science says, it's an endeavor to discover truth through the scientific method. What is bad is the epistemological claim of scientism of that which can be known is only that which can be known through the five senses that's testable and and quantifiable. And just on an experiential level, that cuts at the foundation of not only, I would say, everything that Christians believe, but everything every human being wants to believe, unless you're a purebred nihilist. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, morality, love, anything transcendent Absolutely. Uh, just erodes and leads to, if you're intellectually consistent, nihilism, which I think is the undergirding operating system that our people are running off of now because of scientism.
2: Well, you've nailed it. Uh, scientism, as you just said is really the foundation for the uh, constructivism the, we construct reality it's relative there's no ultimate purpose to anything because you can't prove any of that stuff scientifically so you can't know it and you're absolutely right about that
1: Dr. Moreland, uh, your books have been extremely influential. Tell us where uh, those of us, who, our audience, could find uh, more of your work. Obviously, Amazon, but your webpage, if you have social media outlets, where can people dig more into this stuff? Because I would highly recommend both of these books, Loving God With Your Mind and Scientism Versus Secularism.
2: Well, I would. Uh, I do have a website. I don't do a lot with it, to be honest, because I'm not much of a social media type guy. should be, but... I think Amazon is the best place to go, and I just want to encourage parents and school teachers, uh, Christian school teachers, and just thoughtful Christians, to to get the book "Scientism and Secularism" because we we have got to get up to speed on this because we're seeing it erode our culture day after day after day, and it's uh, I show how to refute it. I show what's wrong with it in the book in, in an understandable language. And uh, that's what I would encourage people to get first, given where we're at today. It, it's an urgent and critical time.
0: Hmm. Dr. Moreland, thank you so much for your time and for your work. I know that a lot of our listeners have been deeply impacted and influenced um, by your work over many years. So we're glad you're still doing it and plugging away. and helping followers of Jesus follow him more faithfully and effectively in the world. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you, and thank you for your work. We're on the same team, my dear brothers. God bless.